Hi, this is Design Lota, the podcast where we talk about life as Indian designers. I'm Sushi and I'm Angie. In our last episode, we talked about design tools, tangible and intangible. It was also one of our more chirpy episodes, so you might want to take a listen yeah. if you want to hear that side of us. I'm excited for today's episode for two reasons. One, we're talking about product design, and I mean the traditional product design, which is of course industrial design. And two, uh, I really enjoy designpreneur stories, designers starting their own businesses. So yeah. Yeah, me too. And I caught up with Karan Patel, an industrial design entrepreneur. He is the co-founder of Machine Design Consultancy, and they recently launched their own line of bags. Hi, Karan, and welcome to Design Lota. We're so excited to have you on our podcast. What have you been up to these days? Hi, Sushmita. Thank you so much for having me on Design Lota. I've been uh, busy in the past few months creating a whole range of products for my company's in-house brand, Something. And we plan to launch them uh, with back-to-back crowdfunding campaigns. Oh, okay. Uh, starting perhaps next week. That's exciting. So why don't you tell us your story of how you ended up becoming a designer? Uh, I started off with mechanical engineering and uh, halfway through engineering, I realized uh, that being an engineer in the world out there isn't the same that was in my head. This was also the time when I uh, came across the term industrial designer and uh, which seemed to be more close to what I wanted to work as and Mm -hmm. be part of. After I completed engineering, I applied to various design schools and got uh, closer to my dream of being an industrial designer. Cool. So would you say that now you're both an engineer and a designer? Uh, I would say yes, I'm I'm both. And I thoroughly enjoy shuffling between both roles okay. when I design a product. Great. So after you graduated from design school, um, you took your diploma project forward and you started a company. So can you tell us about this project and how this happened? So my uh, diploma project was a very simple uh, paddy dehusking machine, which uh, was perhaps like a miniaturized uh, rice mill for a farmer to have in his own house or farm. Mm. And uh, this was aimed at uh, organic farmers who have a very difficult time uh, de-husking their paddy, uh, especially because uh, rice mills demand a large large quantity Mm. at any given time. And they also lose out on uh, the certification of being organic. Okay. And uh, when I graduated in 2013, Mm. I uh, took this project up uh, with a startup in Bangalore. And that was mainly the time when uh, the agri sector was catching up with the whole startup Mm. fever. They found the project uh, very interesting and took it up. And I also served uh, for a year in that company as a head of innovation. So when I was part of this company, uh, I also realized that there's a lot more to do out Hmm. there than design for a particular domain. There's a lot more to learn when you design for, say, electronics or when you design for furniture. Hmm. And you can apply 
every learning that you have to a completely different range of products that you had you would have right. never thought of and uh, i also had a like a very initial taste to entrepreneurship in as part of this startup mm. so my next obvious choice was to start my own practice uh, and my friend from engineering devraj who also followed a similar path uh, like okay. mine he went on to study design after engineering mm. uh, became my partner and we started machine okay. design so from what i understand you do a lot of client projects but you also launch your own products right can you talk about how your company balances products and services how they're different or how the process differs sure so uh, we been designing our own products uh, only since a year now okay. and we've been into services for uh, almost over 4 years so i would say in terms of process it's perhaps more or less the same okay. uh, it's just that uh, the person who decides the brief in case of us designing our own products happens to be okay. us and uh, even it comes to balancing out uh, like what do we take up more it's it's really uh, random because uh, i mean india is still a developing uh, its sensitivity towards mm. design not many people require design services that uh, say across a period of a year right so as and when we find the uh, free time from our design services we use that time to develop new products okay so i mean but in terms of the process i would say it's more or less the same maybe there's more creative freedom when we design our own mm. product but it also uh, sort of turns the table around because now we realized why a client has a certain set of constraints for us why is there a monetary or a financial constraint yeah. on the product when you design for it and that is very evident when you try and <laughs> right. do it yourself now you are officially your own client true yeah. and uh, also how you manage your resources uh, i mean with respect to time or money or uh, even how finely detailed or what uh, kind of quality is someone expecting right so is there something in your process or your values that you believed sets machined apart from other design consultancies yeah something that i think differentiates us from the rest not that i know okay. or met or interacted with different design consultancies mm-hmm. but uh, what i think truly differentiates us is that we design for a set context so we really don't get into designing the product as soon as we receive the brief but okay. we take the initiative and redefine the brief and that is what uh, sets the context for design okay. that is what sets the constraints for which we will or we would be designing for and uh, it might seem quite trivial when you get the, get to the end of mm. it but uh, designing this set of constraints is very important in the process of design right. uh, i would like to give an example sure. where uh, if you uh, design say a smartwatch mm. you decide at the very beginning that the feature that this needs to have is uh, a person to be able to talk to another person okay. already gives you the context that there needs to be a gsm module there needs to be a speaker there needs to be a hmm. mic and these are physical entities and they take up certain amount of space so you already know hmm. of that and you already know of that interaction so you design for that ergonomics as right. well 
So hence, it is very important to create this context at the very beginning. Mm. And it just eases out the process uh, later right. on. Right, rather than just loading the product with features. Yeah, and uh, more importantly, uh, it's to get to the why of the product. Yeah. As to why even create the product. So when the intent is clear, something magical happens <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah. So as a product designer, uh, one needs to constantly think about how to create for the masses, right? Um, how to keep it economical without compromising on quality. What are some of the ways in which you think this can be done more intentionally? Uh, so I think being in India, the meaning of mass market is a little skewed in comparison to the rest of the world. So most often than not, you would see that a niche product uh, in India has a significant market uh, mm. just because of the population <laughs> that we have uh, spread, spread across uh, the variety of socioeconomic yeah. strata. And uh, irrespective of uh, which part of the market you cater mm. to, the word economical and quality at the end of it are just a perception. There is perhaps a set standard of, say, a manufacturing quality where you know what precision means, where you can achieve closer and closer to a certain tolerance level. But for example, say uh, when you were to stitch uh, an apparel, mm. what really is the quality of a stitch? I mean, there's no set way to define the quality of a stitch. And it comes down to the economics of uh, how much you're willing to spend mm. for what, what kind of an apparel. And it boils down to the time you spend on creating the product. Right. So your audience is perhaps willing to pay a certain price mm. for a certain set of features and for a certain kind of uh, quality that they think they're okay with. And again, when I say this, the term quality, it really is uh, what you and I as designers would define it. Right. Or the company that makes it defines it. Mm. There is uh, no manual for it. Yeah. For example, the products mm. that we design, we... Uh, briefly have an idea as to the kind of audience that we want to cater to. Right. And uh, we, I mean, we create the product and the sample and go to a manufacturer. And that uh, sort of gives us an idea as to how much this would uh, need to be priced at mm. for a lot of things for, say, uh, different costs that need to be included for the sustenance of the company and whatnot. Mm. And uh, if we realize that uh, we have gone beyond the budget that the audience can pay for, mm. then that would be a failure on our part as designers and truly not the fault of either the uh, customer who cannot pay mm. more or either the manufacturer who cannot make it at that price, at that quality. Okay. So uh, I, I checked out your blog and in it, one of the things that, you've talked about is the importance of prototyping and how the intention of a prototype is often misunderstood by clients and designers alike. Yeah. Uh, so the education system that we have doesn't really promote the act of making or creating. Uh, so even as say engineers or designers, the curriculum mm -hmm. that we have doesn't give us the opportunity or nor are we uh, encouraged to create something that is physically working mm. prototype. Yeah. 
a physical representation of your idea. And hence, uh, this sort of perhaps lingers on to you when you step into your professional uh, career. Mm-hmm. And you don't really realize the importance of having that sample prototype or the physical model in front of you. And when it comes to catering or creating this prototype for clients, mm-hmm. uh, it's misunderstood that by paying even a good amount of money, you would get something exceptionally close to a production-ready product in terms of it being a prototype. Mm. So it, a prototype is as good as the amount of time and money you spend on it. And every prototype has its own uh, purpose. So even a designer would perhaps create a paper mock-up just to maybe understand the scale of the product mm. or the dynamics of uh, how we would hold it or place it on a table. And a company would have the requirement of showcasing this design to maybe an investor Mm -hmm. or maybe carry out a study or a feedback study or have it placed in a focus group. And when this is something that I've learned from my personal experience, that uh, be it whoever, the, uh, the company or a designer or a fellow designer or a eventual end customer what you showcase to them is what they truly believe is the end of the product i mean they truly believe that this is the best that the product can be Mm. and it becomes very difficult for people to understand that there can be a step beyond Mm. it so hence this uh prototyping is is quite dicey in that way and you need to get or set your uh, requirements in place first and then create what you're you're looking to. Right. Do you want to talk a little more about uh, making and the importance of hands-on skills? Do you want to go into detail about this and how we can be more hands-on as designers? So, I mean, I think since we were in school, we would perhaps study the working of uh, maybe a machine or a particular mechanism. But not really be introduced to it uh, face-to-face or not really be introduced to it uh, physically, Mm. but maybe just given an arbitrary example saying this is how it's done out there and this is how a clock works or this is how a watch Mm. works, but no one really opens it up for you and says, you know, this is is exactly what's happening inside. This is the kind of effort you need to put in to achieve this. Yeah, And this uh, is something that even uh, perhaps happens in design schools. Mm and engineering uh, colleges as well. You are not even uh, given the opportunity or the encouragement to make something of your own. So you're either tied up with your own uh, classes, so your schedule is maybe blocked for a good amount of time. Something that you do want to do outside Mm -hmm. of it, you either don't have the infrastructure for it or it is too expensive for you as a student to carry out. Right. Yeah. uh, So if I wanted to make a set of gears perhaps and uh, my college didn't have anything to do with it or didn't want uh, to participate in this act of creation of mine I really wouldn't have the resource to make it I mean I need there's a machine that uh, needs to grind out the teeth there needs there needs to be another machine to do the fine grinding for it and you need to uh, source your own Mm. material and uh, no one really uh, is willing to give out, say, a few hundred mm of metal to you until and unless uh, you promise them to buy in bulk. Right. 
so the whole uh, system as such is not uh, tied together yeah. uh, for this this act of making although there have been a few changes of late with uh, the whole uh, maker movement uh, coming right. around and a lot of maker spaces uh, also uh, cropping up here and there yeah so do you also make use of maker spaces to uh, make prototypes or is it you have the state of the art kind of set up in office workshop that you have it's quite financially not feasible for a consultancy like us to have our own setup for uh, prototyping mm. so through our past uh, few projects we've recognized or we've identified uh, people who have their own set of skills mm. and can uh, help in prototyping and when i say that uh, it's not feasible for a consultancy to have its own resources is because we work uh, with varying materials right. we work from uh, fabric wood metal and plastic mm. and all of them have their own uh, processes of prototyping uh, i mean the process of manufacturing will would be completely different from uh, the process of prototyping True. so what are some of the things you do for original design inspiration in this day and age when we are digitally bombarded uh, with images of design and objects through media yeah so uh, i mean in your professional life something that lingers on as i said earlier was how you stay more visual in your creation than more uh, physical yeah and something that's digital in currently in the current mm. scenario would usually be a visual input and that would create a memory that is only visual right. and uh, as industrial designers you would need to have a skill that is beyond just having a visual data bank you also need to have perhaps a tactile data bank right to understand uh, how cold metal feels in winter yeah. and how warm it can get in the summer of gujarat <laughs> yeah that really helps you to think end to end for a product not just from how it looks but also from how it feels when you touch it yeah so do you think that we've become as a design community not just industrial designers but designers of all disciplines the focus is very much on the visuals but we don't pay as much attention to the tactile or to other senses like smell or sound do you feel like visuals get the maximum weightage when it comes to designing something yes given the current scenario uh, visual of a product is surely what i would say takes the most attention for a designer or for a company mm. and uh, I would say there are very few products out there which are complete in the sense of uh, sensory feedback. You really get to uh, appreciate or acknowledge a product through all your senses. Perhaps it's also a reflection of where we are headed towards in terms of how technology is dictating the products of That's today. That's true. There, if everything is becoming digital and uh, one of the easiest ways for a digital interaction is to be visual, right. that of course will take up. the most uh, prominence in all that we right. create where are a time when the physical is heavily induced with the digital and it seems like this trend is set to grow everything from cars or watches or even pillows are being made smart so how does a designer who has been making something purely physical uh, transition into this or do you think they should even transition into it so there's no doubt that Uh, the whole world is transitioning to be digital and smart mm. and uh, 
I believe that the smart products of today would no longer exist in the future just because how smart they are getting. Okay. Maybe you'll have just a smart space and you would not even need products around okay. you. Having said that, there will always be products that need to be designed, either physical or digital. And it is completely up to a designer to pursue what they really want to. Personally, I get a sense that uh, most of the smart products out there are over-engineered and trying to intervene as solutions at a very low level. I would say that they are at the dawn of product innovation where they've just got their hands on this technology and they're trying to express themselves as what they can be out there as uh, meaningful products. Right. And hence, these uh, whole set of products that really don't uh, create meaningful uh, products in the complete mm. sense, but are smart products nonetheless. Yeah, so they come up with these features and then there's still a lot of exploring that needs to be done about how those features can actually be used. Right. This smart technologies, perhaps, or the smart products that are made are not really thought of and designed or created in a holistic way, but just made to be uh, the heroes or the uh, flag bearers of the technology that they represent. Right. They're not at a level where it becomes as obvious as, uh, say, a chair or as obvious as your dining table or as obvious as a TV. Right. And it'll perhaps take a good amount of time for it to evolve and progress until it becomes the obvious choice for people that this is what I need to have. Yeah, I think uh, for uh, everything that's out there, there's always going to be uh, two ways to it. And yeah. There's always opinions and likes, dislikes are going to be uh, more subjective. It's just my personal take on what smart products are today let's say about it so it's a feature as opposed to a product uh yes that's i think put in its truest form it's it's more of a feature than a product by itself in this age of pinterest and instagram uh, trends seem to be getting around really fast right and also they are evolving at a crazy pace new things are cropping up on a daily basis do you think trends is something that industrial designers should concern themselves with? I personally, and as a matter of fact, even machine design really doesn't design for a particular trend. I just believe it's as a duty as designers to push every limit that we have, to push the limits of either be technology or manufacturing or even behavioral change. And if we are aiming for that, I would say designing for a trend doesn't really uh, take the prominence in the whole process. But I feel that it's really worth the effort when you try and uh, go beyond what you really think uh, design can achieve. And to be honest, I feel that uh, trends are momentary and they're just and maybe the remnants of uh, the design intent for a particular context. Uh, just the example from the top of my head is that uh, most denim pants even today have uh, a pocket watch uh, pocket. Yeah. I would say people today have adopted to use it for maybe keeping coins or maybe pen drives, but uh, no one really calls it a pen drive pocket. Yeah. And if it is a pocket for a pen drive, it would be designed or it would look, feel, be 
something completely different so but do you also think like trends could also mean lifestyle trends for instance it's become a trend to really fill your house from floor to ceiling with plants uh-huh. which paves the way for an opportunity to design pots and plant holding things yeah so when you use the word trend i somehow associate it uh, with the fad yeah it again this is also a fad because i mean i've seen a lot of people try to do that and they weren't exactly successful because the intent was not to care so much about the plants but at the end of the day people just want to post pictures of that on instagram and feel happy about that uh there is no doubt uh, what's been the dominant scenario that's out there today but when it comes down to designing the product i really feel that it's it's unfair to design a product for a particular trend <laughs> and uh, only because the the design intent or the design by itself uh, becomes dishonest just to what the example that you gave that uh, you wanted to fill up your house with plants right at the end of it uh, you didn't uh, perhaps live up to your own expectations of being able to carry it out perhaps uh, it could have been d- designed better to match today's lifestyle where maybe you don't have the time to water your plants or you go out on a holiday for a week and plants still need to be taken care of and no one's really taken that into account when they were designing for this particular trend or they missed out on it yeah if it is going to be just just for show then it'll just end up being for show but if it is going to be if it means much more than that it will surely uh, need that much effort or need that much uh, time and finesse to create it as well yeah again this goes back to how it's more visual than actually the inherent design of the product So instead of trends uh, informing the design maybe trends could inform the way we style the products I would say even the word styling for me is more to do with how you would personalize the product or you would personalize the context for example if i were to style my house it would be completely different from how uh, even my mother would la- want to style the house right uh, but uh, if I were to design my house if I were to design my house for myself and if I were to design the house for my mother it would perhaps not be too far away from each mm. other what I'm trying to put out there is uh, the certain functional needs that need to be met right. and that would uh, maybe be the same for a good majority of people and if uh, they are outside that uh, majority mm. then of course you would be designed for outside of that majority I don't know if I'm making sense over here. You are. So I've noticed that people are often confused about what a designer does. So often you have clients approaching you saying they want something designed whereas they're only talking about the aesthetics like they have all this stuff in place and they just want you to put a box around it. True. I'm, I'm sure you would have experienced that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say aesthetics is surely under the purview of design, but it's not the only thing that is under the purview of design. So design perhaps is a good mix of logic and emotion and aesthetic puts the joy in using the product True. so this is something that even uh, i heard uh, james dyson say in one of his interviews that if you have ever experienced using out and out functional product you do recall it much more than compared to a very good looking product that never performed <laughs> what it was supposed to do so i mean that by itself is a statement or a witness yeah. for what 
design truly stands and for. this also means that designers need to get out of their offices and physically explore the 3d implications of what they design beyond just the visual gratification so would you like to talk about the importance of testing out your design and how you do it at machine so i've seen a lot of uh, designers create a product uh, say as even as consultants or when they work with companies and not really follow up on how it has performed out there in the true conditions that uh, really test the product yeah and uh, they might have been designed for certain constraints but uh, there is there are very few people who would actually go back and check the performance of the design yeah of course part of the responsibility also lies with the the other stakeholders who created the product but the soul of the product uh, is usually created by the designer and i would assume or i would also take it onto myself mm. being a designer that it would be our responsibility to know how the products done out there so at machine uh, we haven't had the opportunity to do that uh, mainly because uh, the companies that we design for uh, take very few parts of our design or incorporate it uh, going forward so it's, it's a decision that uh, they okay. take and we are left off at a stage uh, where we perhaps don't have a say as to what can happen <laughs> uh, to the future of the design that we've made but although with uh, our products that we make we've paid good attention to what people have told us and uh, it's to ask the questions in the right way not necessarily asking the right questions yeah so we we gotten good amount of feedback from our previous uh, product that we had launched and that is what led us to incorporate those changes into our new product right and we've uh, we took a whole year to redesign and recreate the product that we launched earlier mm. yeah i seems that we would not be giving large scope for complaints this time okay although yes sometimes products that you design are used outside of the constraints that you design it for and that that i am there's very little that uh, you can do as a designer particularly in i would say in india is where you would see this happen where uh, you perhaps would misuse say a knife to even scrape out coconut and at the end of it the knife is blunt and the knife is bent and although you know that that product is not been designed for that you still go ahead and use it for something it's not meant for true this also is i would say a cause for uh, innovation in some way where you make the best use of things that you have around you <laughs> yeah so interestingly you also mentioned about responsibility of the designer right so uh, what about times when you get into a contract with a client to design something and then it kind of turns into something rather questionable like uh, we're dealing with issues like uh, planned obsolescence today right with most of our products mm-hmm. so how would you deal with something like that it really is i would again say uh, up to the individual and what they are looking to create or do a lot of times perhaps say if you have uh, financial constraints you might end up doing what the client really wants you to do <laughs> yeah only because you need to get the paycheck at the end of the month hmm. 
but when a certain uh, it's like the maslow's uh, pyramid mm-hmm. so if the bottom of the pyramid is being taken care of for you i think that is when you uh, sort of break down walls where right. you you have the freedom or you've been given a free hand and even if you do not have that free hand you would most probably fight for it <laughs> and make make things happen yeah i would say but as a, a designer and this is what has lacked i would say in the design as a profession in india is where we do not stand for what we really want to do and that really puts out a picture hmm. for the people to assume that we are not really worried or concerned about the project or the task at hand so we need to be more assertive when it comes to putting our foot down and saying that this will not work as a design or yeah and uh, so what happens is when a designer does that perhaps you do not uh, have an appropriate validation or a reason for why you say that when that happens that really really seems off for any other person on the other side yeah but if you do have a strong uh, reason for what you think is right and why you think things uh, need to be the other way that is when someone really gets your point of view and yeah. then is willing to uh, walk the distance with you yeah and that's a challenge because things aren't always black and white when it comes to design right it's more of a matter of context and preference true and uh, it really comes down to all the stakeholders who take the uh, collective decision it's just that a person with a certain expertise needs to lead in that decision so when it comes to design of course the designer has the largest say but that doesn't mean that he won't participate in the decisions taken by the engineering team or by the business team as well so designers need a seat at the table right of course and i think that uh, something that i would really love to see is where we have design led companies although of course a lot of the uh, companies claim to be design led in terms of their philosophy but uh, not many of them are led by designers which is why it's really cool that you guys as designers are taking part in this process of not just designing but putting out products from start to finish and not just the concept but actually taking on the challenge of having the product manufactured so i think that gives you guys a lot of leverage yeah. it puts you at a position where you get to make these important decisions i would say that's always been the dream where you are so closely involved with the product that you see it literally grow and go out there uh, and see it in the hands of the users as well so this whole process sounds pretty expensive to be able to actually launch a product from start to finish so uh, it's the really upside of uh, crowdfunding where you needn't necessarily have 1000 products to give out to 1000 people but you need to have that one product or that one prototype or a sample which you can show to 1000 people or more and tell them how great it would be if this came out to the world and they support you in your journey and they pay up front the or the amount that you envision as the goal that you need to create the product and uh, once you have hit your goal that you receive the funds and that is when you can start hmm. uh, manufacturing it and then you eventually ship it out to <laughs> yeah uh, we launched a product uh, and our brand through crowdfunding we had and a very unexpected overwhelming response from people it was great to know and see how a product was appreciated and acknowledged so the whole journey was uh, very exciting from working on the idea to even photographing the 
small details of the bag that we had made to interacting with the manufacturer, figuring out uh, or probable hurdles we would face in manufacturing to actually encountering hurdles that you never thought of you would face. Yeah. And then finally shipping out the product. So it was sort of a roller coaster journey, but it was a great experience mm. uh, all in all. So what were some of the challenges that you faced or did you learn something surprising? Yeah, so crowdfunding is uh, relatively new in India and not many people really understand or perceive the intention behind uh, which a product is chosen for crowdfunding. Right. So it was uh, a little hard to put across the idea of uh, crowdfunding to a few mm. of our prospective backers. And uh, a lot of people thought that uh, it's like any other e-commerce store where <laughs> they're placing an order and they get the product at the end of it, say maybe in a week's time or uh, 10 days time. So did you have a lot of angry customers demanding their product? Uh, uh, not really. We didn't have uh, people... Uh, getting angry for this misunderstanding. Okay. So once they were informed that uh, this is what happens in a crowdfunding campaign, mm. uh, they were quite open and uh, appreciative of the effort that we put in to create the product. Cool. So, uh, I mean, just telling people that uh, you are supporting our dream makes a lot of difference to the whole conversation that we had. Right. So speaking of dreams, in India and in other developing countries, there seem to be countless gaps and hence countless opportunities also for designers. And uh, through design school, we're kind of conditioned to believe that we need to go out there and then do something to basically contribute to something positive in developing the country. And often there's no clear-cut path to how to get there. And often all these opportunities seem to be cordoned off with red tape. So what are some ways in which designers, especially those who've just got out of design school, uh, can be more proactive and effective? Right. So uh, I think just participating in the current ecosystem that we have, just participating as a designer is purely wonderful. Because the whole ecosystem hasn't even experienced uh, what design can actually do for it. Right. No company has uh, known. When I say company, I, over here I refer to companies that are uh, considered in the say MSME sector. Hmm. So say uh, a small uh, manufacturing unit in an industrial area in your town would not have possibly understood what graphic design is and the impact that it can have when he has rich visuals on his website can fetch for him. Right. So just by participating as a designer is just great in the current ecosystem that we have. Yeah. Just because it's growing at that pace and the experience or the insight that we can bring in as designers. But uh, there are also larger aspects that uh, designers can take up, which I think is the ultimate uh, challenge for any designer currently in India, is being part yeah. of uh, elite decision-making group of people which are elected uh, by the people. Yeah. So uh, having a say in how the roads need to be planned or how the city needs to be planned. Just for an example, uh, how long does the pedestrian signal need to be 
So a lot of times you would find that the time is not correlated to the distance of the road that you need to cross. Yeah. Perhaps a decision of what someone thought was good enough for them to cross a road, but they didn't perhaps consider if there were uh, people who are physically disabled or if they were really old aged people or if, if it was someone who had a broken leg and can't walk perhaps that fast. So these are very uh, little things that catch a designer's attention every day, but uh, can't really uh, take it up or participate in such yeah. a channel, essentially because there is no system for it at the moment. But uh, there are cities like the city of Los Angeles has a chief design officer. Wow. So perhaps that will come into India sometime soon. Hmm. And I think that has already started with a few initiatives here and there. I mean, a lot of people have already started hmm. the initiative and uh, considering this red tape more of a constraint than a red tape and uh, knowing what they are getting into and then trying to create change. I would say one of the most uh, popular examples that you would see is the ugly Indian yeah. in India, where the whole group is not really looking to create or try to enforce a law per se, but trying to create a system or a space playing with more with the psychological aspect of the local public in creating a very clean space or trying to maintain the space to be clean for as long as possible. Right. So you're saying that design interventions need not necessarily go through the government. They don't need a bill or they don't necessarily need a seal, but it can start by influencing the public since we live in a democracy. Yes. And I think that is uh, in some way design where you use it as a constraint and, and you, you still found a solution to achieve what you're looking to achieve. Cool. So. Do you have uh, any words for students who want to pursue industrial design? Uh, I would say uh, if they're quite young, if they're still at school, they need to start exploring uh, as many objects, physical objects around them as possible. Maybe open up as many things as they can yeah. and learn to put it back <laughs> properly as well. Yeah, that's the difficult part. Also get their hands a little dirty and try to make as many things as possible. Uh, yeah. Be it from, say, even Lego to clay or whatever they can get their hands on. Right. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast. And this has been really insightful. And I think we have learned a lot from this discussion. So where can our listeners find your work online, offline or in a parallel dimension? You can uh, log in to our website, uh, www.smthn.in. That's something.in. And uh, if they want to know more about the products or the projects that we've done in the past, they'll also find a way to contact us uh, on that website. So most welcome if anyone wants to know more about us. And, and thank you so much for having me on Design Lota as well. I feel kind of a kinship with Karan, an engineer turned designer, except he went from mechanical to industrial design and I found myself moving from software engineering to interface design. Yeah, it's nice to see a lot of your breed in design schools <laughs> and design roles these days. And it's interesting how engineering and design fields go hand in hand, yet we think of them as two separate personality types. Yeah, I think the combination can be quite harmonious, actually. Um, kind of a mixing of the how and why of a product. If nothing else, an engineering background might help a designer empathize with his engineering or developer counterparts. 
I agree that engineers and designers need to work together more to be able to leverage each other's skills better. Hmm. Ultimately, the goal of both people is a quality product with a great user experience. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Karan spoke about how they like to work on their own products in their downtime and keep that balance between product and services mindsets. I think that was interesting. I think that's one of the aspects of successful entrepreneurship yeah. to keep that flow of income coming while also being able to pursue your passion projects. And speaking of offering design services as a consultant, as Karan said, taking the time to work with the client to redefine the brief and set the context can really set your practice apart. And that's not always easy with clients who have a clear idea in their head yeah. or think that they do and of course they're impossible deadlines context really comes into play at various points in the process so does getting constant feedback from the users and the client right yeah and prototyping can be a good way to keep the feedback coming and make sure that the client is on the same page with regard to the brief once they see it, they might understand why it needs to be done a certain way or why a certain feature may not make sense. Even we sometimes have those aha moments only once we have turned our ideas into 3D. I mean, in the tactile sense. Yeah. Um, this culture of prototyping needs to start early in our education system. We need that bravery to just put across an idea by hmm. making with our hands and actually feeling how something works or find that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing an actual tactile data bank during my exchange program. Huh. The college library had an entire section where they just catalogued various material samplers so that design students could actually see and feel how they looked in real life before choosing to use them in a project. I think this is something that all art and design schools and design companies can implement, especially with a constant introduction yeah. of new and innovative materials with futuristic names that we only get to see on the internet. <laughs> you mean like vibranium? <laughs> let's not go down that bifrost at the moment. <laughs> yeah, let's not. You also discussed the whole smart products trend how they end up being all about showcasing a technology rather than solving real problems. I also feel that just being able to see these technologies exist, no matter how poorly implemented, can give rise to new ideas and applications which then can be used to solve real problems. Sure. So don't hero worship the trend, but be aware of its potential and imagine what solutions can come out of it. And the gaps that allow for design interventions are many, especially in our country. So it's nice to see a lot of startups taking on projects at the grassroots level. And it's helpful as designers to stay open to working in diverse domains or even unlikely opportunities like, say, small local businesses. Yes. And when you look at some of the recently successful startups, you realize that no idea is too small and the possibility with uh, crowdfunding seems quite promising. I like how crowdfunding can act as an idea validation tool. Uh, and also a tool to get feedback from potential end users. By the way, the crowdfunding campaign for Something Bags has now ended. You ah. can check them out and directly purchase them on something.in. That's S-M-T-H-N dot in. That's cool. Uh, I already have my eye on the grey one. I think it's called the Something Elite. 
Hey listeners, what are some cool crowdfunding campaigns that you've funded or been interested in? And what smart products do you think we can expect to see next? Do you have your own version of a tactile library? Tweet to us at designlota and tell us about it. You can find references and the transcript to this episode on designlota.com. In our next episode, we're talking street typography and personal projects. Can't wait. Until next time. Bye.